Hello and welcome to the Bath Student Opinion. Today we will be speaking about rent rebates in the private sector for students. Firstly, we will be interviewing two students, Adam and Matt. Secondly, we will interview a student activist and SU officer at the University of Sussex, Connor. Thirdly, we will interview the managing director for Homelets in Bath, Marcus Arundel. And last, we will interview the member of parliament for Bath, Wira Hophouse. So, as you might have probably guessed in that rather rough interview, uh, or beginning, I mean, uh, this is the open beta of the Bath Student Opinion. Um, we, and me and Joel, uh, we basically come to uh, University Radio Bath uh, with the intention of really putting the student voice first. We want to highlight student issues because we really do believe that, especially with the pandemic of the past uh, year and a half now, student issues are majorly sidelined. Uh, and we Rarely mentioned. Rarely, rarely mentioned. Uh, and that's exactly why we're doing this show today with such an important issue. And that's the reason why we're starting, firstly, with um, our, our two fellow students, Adam and Matt, because we position it around um, students and then we just address that to people attempting to resolve it, people responsible, but also other sides of the argument. And so I think that's just no better way to start off and speak to Adam. Hello, Adam. We just wanted to ask you a few questions about your experiences with the rent rebate. But first, um, essentially, who are you? In quite a basic question. Yeah, I'm a second year politics student, but I also I'm a student ambassador. So I do that for the university and I'm on like the committee for the politics society and things. I have quite a few roles which involve me with the university directly. So I imagine you're very familiar with the rent rebate had you applied we didn't apply to anything formally but one of us sent an email to our landlady just basically asking you know would it be a possibility and we got a very firm no and we didn't take it any further and did you think personally that you were entitled to a rebate i mean i understand the landlord's position but i think maybe a mid ground where we got like a half refund or something rather than the full I think maybe a bit of money off is we hadn't been here from a lot of us left on the 8th of December and didn't come back till a few weeks ago. So that's yeah, um, at least utilities or something you, you'd you imagine. Yeah, because yeah, our bill was for um, gas and electric. It was still £70 a month, even though no one was in the house using it. Oh, really? Yeah, I understand that it goes up over winter, but still we usually use about 70 to 80 when we are here. And, and when we're uh, not... Along those lines, like, so was there any, any reason be, to be charged that amount for your bills? Was the central heating left on or do you leave everything off when you leave? No, you, you have to keep the uh, central heating on the lowest setting just so the pipes don't freeze because that would cause flooding and a lot more money. Um, ah, right. But as long as you, we keep it on the lowest, which means should still mean a considerable drop in price, but it, it was about the same. Like we turned all the lights off and all the switches off, so we shouldn't have used any electricity. But in terms of gas... It should have been a lot less. In a recent student survey, almost a billion had been spent on unused student accommodation. And do you think that this is this is an issue um, represented sufficiently in the broadcast media? Uh, well, I don't. I don't personally. I don't think the problem for university students in COVID across the board has been represented very well in the media. I think we get sort of pushed to the side, and it the only sort of 
time that I've seen university students mention in the media when they blame us for spreading it. Do you feel that the university has been sufficiently engaged with local landlords and do you feel like you've got an element of security um, and protection from the university in this situation? Um, I know that they set up, they did the thing with Bath Spa where they would help you talk to your landlords. Um, we didn't use it, but I know that it was an option where they'd help you sort of set up communications and they'd sort of back you up. But they didn't offer any like financial um, security or anything. It was just sort of a dead back you in your argument thing. I think it's understandably the best they can do, but it's still not enough, I would say. Uh, I, I, have a, I have just one or two questions um, and then and then we will we'll let you let you go free. Harking back to your landlord's response, what what was the response uh, if you're at liberty to go into any further detail? It was something along the lines of, we have given it some consideration. However, we are sorry that we are not able to give you a reduction. Kind regards. And then their names, which I won't disclose. And do they give you a reason? Um, no, that was it. Right, that's that's interesting. What's what's the relationship you have uh, with your landlord like, if you have one at all? Have uh, you kept the house in good condition? Is it uh, is it trashed, or have you done really well to keep it uh, in good nick? No, we're we're all quite neat, and we all pay on time. Um, I asked for the money a few days, like a week in advance of when she asked for the money, so that I can make sure it's all here in time before I send it off. So we've always paid on time. We keep the house nice. She came to check on the house where we went home for Christmas and she actually dropped me an email saying really impressed with how you left the house and she got us all Sainsbury's vouchers for £10 each which doesn't quite repay the rent. But, uh, <laughs> At least there's a nice sentiment there I suppose to uh, yeah. counteract the £70 of bills. Yeah. Um, right that's very interesting but thank you very much that's that's really helpful. And could I really quickly ask why you didn't send a follow-up email just going not even a possible partial reduction in terms of utilities. Uh, well, utilities isn't her. Uh, we're with Bulb, which is a separate thing. Um, oh, and as it's oh a okay. Sort of company, you know, it's a lot harder. Um, yeah, I understand. So utilities, because it's not in, it's not bills included, so we pay that separately. So we we didn't bring it up with her. For her, it was literally just the rent. But after that it was very clear that even if there wasn't a reason, she just didn't want to. So it was quite clear from the tone that we weren't going to be able to budge her. <laughs> so just, because we didn't need need the money, it was just sort of an annoyance that we're wasting it rather than a necessity. Um, so I think at that point, we're like, we're not going to change her mind without ruining the relationship we have already. It's probably more beneficial if we stay on her good side. Fair enough. Actually, along those lines, um, do you feel like you have enough rights as a tenant in that case? Um, do you feel slightly claustrophobic in that kind of uh, regard? Well, there's a, there's a lot of power play, isn't there, that really she holds all the cards. You've signed a contract to say that you're going to pay. There's not really much more you can do if she says no to changing that contract. I mean, you've you basically just signed your life, well, not your life away, you've signed your freedom to change things away at the beginning of the year. And you've got to sort of stick to that unless you convince her to change. And we didn't feel we could convince her to change. 
Right. Adam, you've been a legend. That was Adam speaking to us as a second-year student. And next we have another second-year student who came to speak to us, this time with a slightly different attitude towards rent rebates and the relationship between uh, him as a tenant and his landlord. Here is Matt. Great. So, hello, Matt. We're going to start off with just the basics. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, like, who are you? What do you study? Any key hobbies or interests? I know you also do labour clubs, so you want to talk us talk to us about that briefly as well? Sure, yeah. So, yeah, uh, my name is Matt. Um, I'm a final year student here at Bath studying computer science. I just came back at the start of this year from Germany, where I was, uh, well, no, started last year from Germany, where I was doing my placement. Yeah, it was then that I kind of got into the international and, and national labour movement. Um, and since then, yeah, so I'm a member of the committee of the local labour society and, and quite active outside of that too. Spending way too much time doing volunteering and stuff when I should be uh, doing my dissertation. No, it's, it's very honourable, I'd say. So to start off with, has the pandemic at all affected your income streams or your housemates' income streams? I think we've been quite fortunate in that for the most part it hasn't. I know that there are... At least one of my housemates has been furloughed, but they've mainly been okay without it. And I think we're a very fortunate household in being in that situation. I think, ironically, at least for me, it's because, you know, I, I come from quite a low-income household, and so my student loans are sufficient to keep me going. Um, I know that hasn't been the case for everyone, and I know a lot of people who are, who are really, really struggling, particularly when either they're not able to get the support they were previously able to get from family or for, for many, many other reasons, particularly international students I know are really, really struggling because, you know, for example, they're not able to return home, they're forced to rent. So I'd say not, not significantly personally, but it's been quite easy to see the effects elsewhere, for sure. So do you believe you should be entitled to a rent rebate? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm very glad to see the university has gone ahead with a rent rebate for the first years in particular. I can absolutely emphasise with them and, and how they feel they've been lied to, or at least, you know, misled in, in how the pandemic would affect their education. And a large part of the responsibility for that obviously lies with the government rather than the university itself. But there are still effects. With regards to the private rented sector, I think absolutely, as part of a national movement of rent rebate and, and rent forgiveness, I think that this issue goes far beyond the student sector. But obviously, students are often involved in vulnerable situations perhaps more likely to be than um, large segments of the population and it, it really needs to yeah I, I, the answer is yes um, but as part of a larger national movement in rent reductions obviously many mortgage holders and, and those who pay mortgages have received mortgage holidays and we should see a similar forgiveness scheme for renters as well. So have you requested a rent rebate? No, not directly. Um, and the reason for that is, and I think this is the case for a lot of people in private accommodation in particular, it's very easy to see what the response is going to be. Any kind of movement for rent rebates in the private sector needs to be collective. And that's kind of been the difficulty in setting that up, at least in, in Bath in particular. I think that's a large part of the reason why rent strike movements have, have popped up all around the country. I think 55 universities now have a rent strike movement because there is a recognition that the only way this is going to be achieved is through collective action. An individual landlord is not going to be providing rent rebates. There needs to be support from local councils and local universities and a collective movement by students as a whole. And I think we can see the effects of that in the timing of when the university itself provided rent refunds to first years. They weren't proactive in it. It wasn't necessarily responding to the needs of students, but it was when other universities started offering rent rebates. It was very much a reactive process and a, a reaction to the collective nature of the rent rebate movement across the country. 
Right, along those along those lines then, it would, are you worried about what would happen if you requested one? Are your housemates, do you think other students are? And do you think there are adequate protections for students if you were to request one at all? I think in terms of adequate protections, it's difficult to say. Obviously, there is, I believe, still an ongoing eviction ban in the UK and or at least England. I believe it's been extended further in, in Scotland. So I... but. Obviously, many students won't be aware of that. I think a lot of students are more cautious because of the informal effects and the, the effect it will have on their relationship with their landlords than any formal or legal responses. In particular, deposits are always a massive concern for students. I think a part of student living and, and rented living in general is the fact that you can take care of your house or your property immaculately. You can never step foot in that place and you will still have part of your deposit reducted, uh, reduced and taken away. And I think many students are very concerned about how their relationship with their landlord would affect things like that and the fact that it may there may be direct financial costs to an unsuccessful bid for a rent rebate on a personal level what what is your own relationship with your landlord and and, and does that have a, a part to do with the, what condition your house is in keeping up payments mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my condition is, is pretty much the same as most students in Bath, which is that we don't really have much direct contact with the landlord. It's done through an agency, as so many of these are. The agency, we have a fairly good relationship, but we know our landlord vaguely. He lives in Spain, or at least has for the duration of the pandemic. He clearly has enough capital behind him to rent out a bunch of properties and, and live abroad, but will be very, very sceptical about replacing our vacuum cleaner when it packs itself in. So I think that's a pretty common perspective. I wouldn't say it's, it's affected how you know we treat our house or anything like that. The reality is we take care of it because we want to live in a nice space. Nothing to do with the landlord. And I think obviously that won't really affect him much. I don't think he really cares. But I think that's pretty typical. I think there's a lot of disassociation with landlords, particularly in student sectors, either with large conglomerates running massive private halls or running through agencies and landlords renting out a lot of properties just because they can and hiking the price each year. We saw some statistics, me and Joel, the other day, which was that almost £1 billion has been spent on uh, accommodation, which has just been sitting empty sure. uh, over, the, over the pandemic. Do you think this is an issue which is represented sufficiently or accurately by the broadcast media, if at all? Yeah, absolutely not. I think there's been some coverage, and it's good to see, particularly about the rent strike movement. But I think that's been more focused on the fact that there is large-scale student activism again, perhaps of the scale of the 2010 uh, fee movement but obviously during a pandemic it may be less visible but I think a lot of the coverage that we do see if we see it is again focused on those individuals and those movements rather than what they seek to represent you know it's a, a pop piece it's a this exists it's not any kind of structural analysis of why these issues exist it's something that's really really missing in in our broadcast media and our print media in general is any form of structural analysis it's it's always just this has happened Yep, that's it. This is yeah. an it, it, it's, it's almost more an entertainment piece. It's people reading about stuff because they want to know what's happening in the world, not because they want to change it. And I think that's reflected very well in the issues here. There's there's not an analysis of the issues. There's an analysis of the movements that people are creating to solve these issues, but not why those movements are being created at all. What I was wondering is you have a very, very good understanding of what people are going through at the moment as someone who's experienced this issue yourself. And what I was wondering, do you 
think, in your personal opinion, that COVID has essentially opened up um, awareness for, for students and people alike that there is need for reform in sort of accommodation laws and mm. tenancy agreements and all these different issues. Do you, do you think that this needs to be fixed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's had a massive effect. I think we've seen a growing sort of consciousness in student and sort of young people in general over the last few years, particularly as we look at the effects of things like Brexit and Trump. There's been a lot more political awareness and the climate movement has only helped that for sure. But I think the pandemic is really what has brought that systematic analysis back down to earth in terms of people's personal lives and immediate lives and tenancy and accommodation is a great great example of that i think there's been currents particularly on the left but across the board in how the rented sector needs to be improved for i mean decades now but the immediate crisis is what has really driven this awareness the fact that people will be evicted if they don't solve it the fact that people see the money coming out of their pockets even though they're not living in these places i really hope that that continues but it will be interesting to see. But it's worth noting that I think that that look accommodation and the problems in that sector goes beyond the student movement for sure. You see many left organisations that have always had accommodation reform on the radar, but it's never been a, a front and centre issue that it is now becoming a front and centre issue. I really, really hope that this keeps up. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see changes in the government approach to accommodation over the next few years. And so I really hope that that attention is focused on local councils and community movements as much as possible. We see tenants unions like Acorn have massively taken off over the last year. And I really think people should, should join and be more aware of those for sure. Uh, Matt, you've been amazing. That was Matt. And Tom, when you say that he had a different approach, did you mean that he just had so much more to say? <laughs> yes. For a country mile? Uh, pretty much. Uh, you see, obviously, Matt, having had a lot of experience, he, he I think he works in, in Germany doing some uh, activism work. He worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign as well. Right. The guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting that, you know, that approach then led him to, instead of like Adam... Um, who actually did try and request some support, uh, Matt just didn't bother. Which really surprised me, given how passionate he was on the subject. Yeah, you would have thought... I mean, look, honestly, the thing is, I, in my opinion, I would probably have the same attitude as, 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 as Matt does. Um, but you would, you know, as they, as they say, shy bands getting out. You know, don't ask, don't get, you know what I mean? Like, As a southerner, I don't really understand what you mean. No, I'm just talking gibberish, but... But to provide a counter-argument um, or a different perspective of what um, both Matt and Adam have said, we spoke to Marcus Arundel, the managing director of a local letting agency in Bath. Hi guys. Um, yeah, Marcus Arundel, uh, managing director of Home Lets, Lettings and Managing Agent based in, uh, in the centre of Bath. Um, we've been we've been in the, working within the city for almost thirty years as of next year now. So we've been around we've been around for a while, and uh, yeah, I'm obviously here to uh, here to discuss some of your questions that you that you've got for us. Given this is a uh, student radio show, I was wondering whether any of the uh, the landlords you work with let to students. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so we're a we're a sort of a, I guess you would call it a, a dual agent. We assist both professional uh, tenants and student tenants. Probably one of the largest student offerings uh, we believe in the city. Well, good to know that we're speaking to the right person. Anyway, <laughs> we 
we were wondering whether um, COVID has affected your business, especially in terms of um, the no eviction ban that was placed in law last year and whether specifically that has affected landlords. What we really saw firstly is obviously concern, um, concern amongst student tenants and, and, and landlords as to, you know, what the what the picture looked looked like going forward we needed to understand what that what those final couple of months looked like um not least for for students and whether they were going to be staying put in bath and, and within their accommodation and carrying on their studies um, or not and then obviously really for landlords you know what was the, what was the rent position there was quite literally hundreds of um of queries coming in and in most cases wanting to either walk out of tenancies and therefore effectively sort of rip up the contract um, and or amend the current contract um, terms and, and terms and conditions, so to speak. Obviously, on the flip side, we, we obviously had concerns from landlords. Is the rent going to continue to be paid? Is it going to be coming in? Um, am I going to have tenants, you know, living in the property for the foreseeable until their typical tenancy end date over the summer and then also you know starting to think about questions as to what does next academic year look like and so on so there were there were difficulties within tenancy groups and there was then also difficult difficulties obviously coming to us as, as the agent and and trying to mitigate and deal with that on a case by case and liaison with the landlord and liaison with the tenants and try and reach some sort of amicable agreement just try to do the best we could the case that you reference in terms of students ripping up their their contracts, I, I imagine that's been the case in quite a few um, letting agencies um, across the country, considering that almost a billion um, has been spent on unused accommodation. That was calculated by the National Student Survey. I imagine landlords in quite a few cases are are, are benefiting. Students at all times, whether you're a student tenant, whether you're a professional tenant, whether you're a corporate tenant, whatever type of tenant in whatever type of rental property you're in, have obviously got you have got you know your own discretionary options and choices that you can choose to exercise within that contract, the same way that landlords have. So if students would you know at no time was there any pressure applied, we haven't got the capability to do that, and we wouldn't do that. What you have is is obviously like I said student tenants as with any tenant have have choices that they can exercise if if students want you know student tenants as with any tenant want to walk away from a contract that's entirely up to them and within their rights to do so but really I, I i'm not sure whether you can say that landlords have necessarily benefited from from that because effectively as i said it, it is a choice decision and and student tenants as with any tenant have always had the choice as to whether they want to stay put within their accommodation and, and carry on their tenancies and, and ultimately obviously carry on their studies or um walk away and 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 sort of carry on elsewhere and if anything i would argue that actually landlords have been adversely impacted because as i've said all along you've had tenancies try and walk away you've had tenancies try and ask for rent reductions and in normal times obviously none of that would have would have occurred Landlords have, have been sat there watching the market going, well, am I going to have a student tenancy for 2021? Am I, am I going to have a student tenancy for 2021-22? So they don't even know if there is, you know, return on investment, whether there is rental income coming in. So it, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, I think, to be honest, a fair and balanced view would be to say it's been tough for both parties. Um, but like I said in, in, in our initial answer, it, it's just about mitigating and trying to assist us as best we can and find sort of the sort of the most positive way forward really 
when it comes to making deals between students and landlords, and I understand that homelets is, you know, the letting agent, the, the middleman, as you said, um, when it comes to, say, like making deals, um, say if it was meant to be a, a rent reduction changing contract, would that go straight to you, the letting agency, or is there first a dialogue between landlord and student, which then gets, you know, the legal aspects are then um, fixed through the letting agency? I want to make sure I'm getting that one right. So we've got our managed business, which is the core part of what we do at Homelets, is the majority of what we do um, in terms of uh, liaising between landlord and tenant. And so everything comes through us. And then we have a, a smaller percentage of the business, which is, as I said, sort of tenant fine, let only, where, yes, those tenants and landlords will be liaising directly. When it comes to the landlords which go through your agency, how many, what kind of proportion would you say are just renting out a second or third uh, property? Or how many are, you know, uh, property investors with quite a large portfolio? And what would you say is that sort of the, um, the proportions of them who go through let only or the or managed lets? We, we act for, for every type of client. I would say the majority of our clients are probably those clients with, with a handful of properties as opposed to portfolio clients. But we do have a fair few um, what we term as sort of professional or, or, or portfolio or even what you would term as corporate landlords. Um, and then in terms of services, the majority of what we do at Homelets is, is managed. Um, so the majority of that uh, of that business, certainly on the student side, where there tends to be more sort of hands-on work required, um, that's definitely something where we find that it, the majority of that business is managed and, and we tend not to to, to, to trade in too much of the of the tenant let only business but that's not to say that we don't we, we don't offer um, those services to those those clients but it's just that's just typically the makeup and, and how we look at homelets when we were interviewing some of the students um you know second and third years we asked about their relationship with their landlord the, the main question i wanted to ask was in, especially in the cases of the smaller landlords um especially if they if it's if it's let only or even if it is through uh, letting uh, letting agency with managed lets do, is it often a case where if there's a better relationship with between the landlord and their tenants just in general would that be where there's they're more likely especially in these times in covid to strike up a deal or uh, or have some concessions uh when it comes to the letting arrangement tenants in general but you know going back to student tenants tend to prefer more so now than they ever have than they ever have done sorry in dealing with a professional agent as opposed to directly with a landlord because of the professional element that we bring to the table effectively um th there is something to say that that does it, what it, it effectively helps because obviously we're then able to broker um arrangements because of the experience that we're able to lean on Obviously, we're, do, we're dealing with managing expectations for student tenants and student landlords day in, day out. It's just bread and butter. It's what we do. We, we tend to find that where student landlords are, are, are managing tenancies directly and they're liaising with student tenants directly, you can get a number of different outcomes. Yes, sometimes I'm sure that you know th things can go smoothly and, and agreements can be reached, but it tends to be the case that because that landlord is having to look after so much, landlords, when they're managing properties themselves now, are having to, you know, are having to potentially look at almost, um, you know, tens, hundreds of bits of legislation at any one time uh, and manage the whole process with tenants and with the property and with maintenance and with 
contract law and absolutely everything that goes into it. Whereas because we take all that on board and that's just straightforward for, for us because of the professional approach that we bring, as I said, we bring to the table, we're able to, to just sort of, we're just, we're able to effectively provide just a clean slate for, for dialogue to, to occur between landlords and tenants, which is why we, we have found, and, and I would say we, we, I guess we've been quite lucky really in some, in most cases that from last year to now, we've been, we have been able to agree on a case by case basis. We have been, we have been able to agree between landlords and tenants, um, some fairly sensible outcomes to tenancies because everything ends up coming through us um, uh, in the majority. And, and like I said, on, on, on the managed side, whether it be portfolio clients or, or, or single or, or sort of a handful of property clients, we tend to find that because we're, we can be the voice of reason, we, we can kind of mitigate and, and try and find a sound solution. In terms of giving rent rebates, um, like is there any specific like company policy, a strict criteria? I, I understand that it's rather rather subjective. Yes, Joel. I think yeah. I think you hit it on the head. Subjective is definitely the, the, sort of the the, the 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 term, the operative word there. You know, we don't have any company policies and procedures around rent rebates. Uh, we follow best practice and industry guidance in terms of. Uh, understanding at what point at which those those sort of sorts of discussions need to be had and and they're in you know and therefore what sort of amounts uh, rent amounts need to be looked at um, there aren't there are some legal there, there is some element of, of legal framework within the short shot or tenancy and landlord and tenant law obviously no one really saw COVID-19 coming did they so it's not necessarily been written into the sort of legal textbook so to speak so we yeah it's kind of had to it, we've kind of had to just sort of assess things on on, on, a, on a best case principle and then obviously provide student tenants and, and landlords with obviously the, the, the appropriate advice but I think the main thing to say here is that you have to remember that we act for both parties and we are agents under instruction from the landlord. So we don't, you know, we can't run around making decisions and just sort of handing things out willy nilly. We have to go to the landlord times and obviously seek authority and instruction for anything that we do, especially when it comes to, to things like rent rebates. And like I said, it's, it's always at the landlord's discretion and in terms of powers, we have very little in terms of what we're able to do um, in terms of employing those that has to be something that is effectively handed down from the landlord to us and then we have to we're either given a a, um, a, broad, a relatively broad mandate and we're perhaps told that yeah you can go ahead and do um, you can go ahead and do a rent rebate for over a certain number of months or for a certain value whatever it might be uh, but it would only be in a handful of cases and really that's not the, the driving factor for what we were being asked that that wasn't it it wasn't we didn't have tenants coming to us going we want rent rebates As a matter of fact i think that was that, that was it was barely mentioned in your last answer you reference a slightly hierarchical relationship between the landlord and the tenant do you think that um covid19 has exposed this relationship further and do you think maybe it would make it easier for you as an agent if perhaps the tenant had more rights 
I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with your point about it being hierarchical. I think the, the I would argue, and obviously with our years and years and years worth of experience, certainly on the student side, is that it tends to be the case that actually we're able to to, to provide that level playing field for, for students and likewise for student landlords. There is no sort of one-upmanship or anything else. In terms of the legal framework, I think, like I said, that's that's set down in, in law and legislation and has been the case for many, 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 many years. Um, it tends to work well, I think, where you get where we understand that you get landlords dealing directly with tenants and there is no professional mitigation, no no no, no middle man, so to speak, or woman, then I think that's where, yes, obviously you can get no end of issues because effectively then there's no there's no filter. Landlords can can effectively start saying and doing whatever they please. And arguably tenants can potentially do the same. Uh, obviously over COVID, yes, there have obviously had to have been agreements sought. And from all the data, like I said, that we see internally have probably been far better off for, for students tenants having gone through some sort of third-party professional agent than necessarily dealing with directly with landlords but certainly everything that goes through home lets would tend to suggest that we're able to provide as sort of as, as sound an agreement as possible you know especially over the covid situation there's been a lot more buzz around tenants unions and the students union also tried to claim claim at least to us they were trying to contact private landlords and letting agencies in bath for second third fourth years even if it's not any what what communication have you had with with tenants unions uh in homelets and what is the industry experience as a whole i know you said that um tenants and landlords are have an equal playing field uh, through letting agencies which i think is admirable but do you do you think there's much of a place for them and if you have had an experience um what has that been like there was definitely a joint statement that was put out by both universities perhaps the college as well this time last year to do with student ongoing student tenancies and what the position was in terms of rent rebates rent reductions tenants trying to walk away from contracts and basically it was a plea to say please can you do as much as you can and be as helpful as, as you possibly can which to be fair we had already been doing that we we kind of expected it so yes I'm pretty confident that it came directly, but it did also get passed across to us because I know that there was something that was sent out, um, certainly by uh, University of Bath Students Union to all their students uh, that was then certainly to any students that were in private sector accommodation that was then sort of attached to emails when requests were coming into us. So, so that was that, that that was understandable to see, and and I guess you know good to see for student tenants and that, that their students union bodies and representatives were obviously working hard for them. We are a member of uh, the national code, uh, short accommodation, which effectively uh, means that we subscribe to a certain level of sort of student living standards, most notably because we're involved in the management of student blocks as well as individual HMO student homes, and they were in constant communication with the likes of Unite. Um, and other student housing providers and students unions and universities themselves with regards to best practice and advice and so on and so on. So we were hearing from them pretty early on as well as to, you know, the line that we should be taking with with student tenants and what we should be maybe saying to our landlords and, and reaching agreements and, and what the statistics were with students wanting to um, up and leave and go home, what they were with regards to staying and, and all this sort of best practice stuff as to how we were meant to conduct a checkout and, and processes and so on. So we, we've had no end of, of kind of dialogue around that 
that and that that has been helpful because it's it's obviously empowered us with being able to make in more informed decisions and ultimately be able to provide better quality advice to, to landlords but also to, to tenants and I guess the good thing is that students hopefully felt like they were being supported to some extent by those bodies because they were acting on their behalf to try and say listen you know COVID's effectively flipped everything upside down so you can't expect to have a tenancy in place and rent being paid going for you know in in the norm in the usual way so i think for all my closing question do you think the entire process is fair do you think there is uh, like you say you say you provide that equal playing field but do you think there is across the board across the country a fair and equal playing field between tenants and landlords where people are able to strike good deal for them and if there are any potholes or or issues with the way it all currently works both you know within bath homelets and across the country any other relationships that you're aware of how do you think it could be improved i would say that what we hear and things we see and obviously you know what's in the press and the media and everything we've heard over the over the last year and so and even going back before that i would say that there probably is a real cross section across the country in terms of how fair or not fair arrangements between landlords and tenants are and potentially what sort of results tenants have got in terms of requests, COVID requests specifically that have gone into landlords over the last sort of 12 months. Whatever body you're going through, I think probably the range of outcomes has been vastly different. But I would certainly say that any professional upstanding agent or accommodation provider on the whole have tried to provide as as reasonable and as flexible outcomes for student tenants as with all tenants as possible. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing we can do, right? Because otherwise you're ending up in a in a hopeless position where you you know you can't reach agreement, tenants who are wanting to effectively walk and you've got obviously landlords who are then gasped and then you you're, you're starting from a negative position. So we don't want to see that happen. We want to try and reach consensus and move things forward. It makes no sense and no odds to us to, you know, to come down hard on landlords or tenants. Is there more that could be done? And, you know, are there certain legislative changes and so on that could be made? I think what you're seeing is as government tries to understand the housing need in this country as we move forward and the role that the private rented sector and certainly the increasing role of the built to rent sector is going to play, I think you are going to see an ever increasing legal levelling up of contract and a short short or tenancy related so landlord and tenant law as to what specific amendments should be made and so on and so on. That's really that's really down to sort of the legal legals and the politics and so on there's an argument to say perhaps there could be more done there because if you look for instance if you look on the continent if you look across europe the majority of homes across europe are rented homes they are not owner occupied homes there is roughly 55 60 percent of homes across europe that are rented as opposed to owner occupied they get the fact that tenants have far more rights under their contracts, as opposed to tenants in, in, in this country. So because we've got an owner-occupier model in the UK, it's um, it's always been the case that there has been an argument that, yes, that the relationship perhaps has been slightly one-sided, but you're going to continue to see more and more home movers looking to move into the rental space as they see the perceived advantages. Then I think you'll see a continued levelling up of, of kind of the landlord-tenant relationship, whereby at the end of the day, we have to remember that it might be a contract but effectively once a tenant has moved into a property it is their home and that needs to be respected marcus thank you so much for your time your answers have been fantastic um and generally invaluable to our show so we genuinely appreciate it so much 
An absolute pleasure. Thank you very much both, and uh, yeah, all the best. That was Marcus Arundel, marketing uh, managing director, actually, of Homelets in Bath. And we genuinely do want to thank him because out of the 20, 25 letting agents that we um, emailed in Bath, he is the only person um, and only firm who actually ever replied to us. Um, so we do appreciate that. Yeah. However, Tom. Oh, my God. He says that it was a bit of, you know, tenants were disadvantaged, as were landlords. But the one billion calculated by the National Student Survey, where on earth did that go if somehow landlords similarly um, were disadvantaged to the same extent as students? I mean, let's face it, Joel, the guy runs a business where he's the middleman, as he, you know... Made, made us well aware uh, between tenants and landlords, and you know, um, you know, the guy runs a business. I, I honestly, solid bloke. Uh, the fact that he came on our show, it's our first episode. It's a, you know, uh, it's university radio, and he came on uh, to be grilled by a couple of uni students. So honestly, great anything? guy. But you know, he 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 wasn't going to. I mean, he even said it in one of the questions. He wasn't going to start digging on tenants or landlords. He's got a business to run, um, but. <sighs> It is sort of a case where it's like, come on. It gets to the point where you're both sizing it when it comes to the people who just want a roof over their head. And, you know, occasionally they can be really annoying. You know, they might, you, might have, you might trash the joint, even though um, Adam and Matt both said that, you know, they want to live there. They don't really want to do that. Um, and the people who are like, actually, I own numerous properties and I want um, people to pay for that. And if, you, and if you do trash the joint, I'll kick you out. It's kind of like... That, that there's a certain point to which you can you can make the argument about you know old oh, tenants can be bad and you know town landlords can be bad. That's like well, at what point does that does the, do you cut that off? Yeah, you, you can't evict the landlord. Let's just say that. Yeah, unless you have unless you have a, um, a rent to buy arrangement. Indeed, as um, which you're not going to do as a student, but you know. No, let's let's face it. But anyway, um, Connor, our next guest mentions that doesn't he uh yes uh he he, he does uh i think he mentions by uh, uh rent to buy uh but largely um it's quite interesting because um marcus mentions the german model um which is a nice bit of foreshadowing for what we're about to hear from uh connor and then our final guest at the end uh so we will segue on to connor now So, Connor, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and what your role is. Oh, yeah, yeah, cheers. I'm, I'm Connor. I am the Education Officer at Sussex Students' Union at the moment, so I'm one of the elected kind of sabbatical officers at the SU, and I'm involved with the Student Rent Strike Network. That's been a big part of my big part of my time this year has been spent working on and with rent groups. Um, I'm also well, soon to be on the NUS Democratic Procedures Committee. That was at the most recent conference. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, an ACORN member as well, member of the community union ACORN. And I just got re-elected to be uh, the student living and sustainability officer at the SU rather than the education officer. So I'm making a bit of like a sidestep of some sort uh, more towards housing stuff. From that experience, would you suggest that rent rebates are important for students? In in a number of ways, yes, enormously. I think there's like, there's a couple of different parts of it. There's the kind of like financial necessity for a lot of people. 
desperate material need for support that students haven't got this year. I think it's, it's interesting students are one of the few sections of society that have received next to nothing from government right across the board, across the political spectrum. People recognise that students are one of the groups that have been sacrificed essentially in terms of how money has been spent at least. And then you've got in that situation where because I mean students don't, don't qualify for universal credit and almost always we don't have any of the part-time jobs that we normally have so like for a lot of people casual hours or precarious uh, precarious employment that we normally enjoy to put it one way is like um, just not there I mean a lot of people when they first arrive at university especially rely on financial support from if they're lucky enough then family networks but a lot of people get some financial support from there and that's been really stretched as well as people have people have had their wages reduced across the board so there's been like a gap financially and that's resulted in a lot of people being forced into financial hardship and there's a there's a good report came out a little while ago about the extent to which financial hardship has, has as a result of covid that people have been driven into situations that they wouldn't normally find themselves in like you've had a big increase this year in going into sex work of one sort or another you've had a big increase in students taking out payday loans if you look at government policy and if you look at I guess a lot of media discourse as well there's an understanding that students are mostly white men who go to one of the elite universities and they kind of they go there and they live there and then they go home and see their parents at, at break that's a very like it's a caricature it is the case that I think rent rebates make sense on a financial level like it's it's really important that that gap is filled and and with the government stepping back you'd hope that universities would step in the, the reflex response and one which they're still holding out for in lots of places in lots of ways is well students wanted to move here they moved here they've had a really great time everything's fine don't worry about anything like don't look too closely under that rock over there or anything but but everything fairly good and you guys should pay full price basically i think to a lot of people is astounding but i think it makes sense in the context where where universities basically become massive landlords 10 years ago there was a revolution in how they were funded basically you had a, a huge shift in financial responsibility from the government to the private individual student and, and and now our universities rely a huge amount on fee income but also on rent income and that's be, that's become like a massive part of how our universities are able to sustain themselves and in that context you get rent becoming not just it not not just being like a way to sustain the institution or and housing moved from being something that was essentially a place to house your students to be a major revenue stream and so it was never on the table for universities when it became clear that the the, the experience of university was going to be transformed this year for students who lived on campus their their instinct was how do we get the most out of this like how do we squeeze the most rent we can from this situation because there isn't that money isn't coming from many other places and we need to do that we don't see them as like learners that we're supporting on campus we see them as streams of finance for our budget which is under strain already or whatever and, and so basically they've, they've treated students in, in a in a way that is much closer to naked landlordism this year than they have like a, a kind of learning community basically rebate's good rebate's good <laughs> necessary and very very important <laughs> You stressed the financial issue for students. We spoke to the managing director of a local agency and he referred to the decision that students have to make but still being obligated to pay for that rent as a matter of choice. Would you say that there's like an additional factor such as financial security and, you know, you, know, you talked about like you the availability of universal credit or you know even students going on onto sex work surely it's not just a matter of choice it's far more complex than that 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the, I mean, that, that that type of articulation of that of the issue from someone who works at a letting agency is quite typical. There's been a lot of talk around, well, you know, students had the choice. Students could do what they wanted here. Like they had the choice whether to stay or go. They could have gone home. Students in, and, and that's, that's the kind of way the university say it as well. It's like students who who live in university accommodation have made a choice to come and live there and and ultimately they don't deserve any kind of financial recognition of what a difficult time it has been to live there lots of students got to move back to family home and some of the students at, at universities who've done that have been given a rent waiver and some even in the private sector there's 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 the odd occasion where students have been given some money off rent if they've if they've if they've not if they've not been there a lot of the students who've moved back to homes have done so because they are able to there is a potential there for them to live comfortably at home or at a parent or place or with a guard or something like that but that obviously isn't the reality for a huge amount of the student body across the country like people don't have other places to go to a lot of the students who are living on campus at Sussex for instance now who are being forced to pay full price are the same students who like maybe they're estranged from their parents maybe they don't have a safe environment back home a lot of students were told in January if you've got issues with study space then come back you know or if you've got issues with mental health then then come on back and those issues and not having a big enough space in which to study in your other like non-term time residents or having mental health issues that shouldn't be reason that you pay more money than everyone else it's a really kind of clearly morally rubbish argument that and i think we're we'll be paying the price for that but if, if anything that makes it a more exclusive place and almost like a place that you were referring to that university used to be 10 years ago if, if, if students can only go to university or access university if they have the money in which to be able to do so yeah, definitely. Since we moved to this model where being a student is seen being a private investment in your kind of future cultural capital, social capital, whatever it is, kind of that being the way we understand universities increasingly and the way the government has tried to force us to understand universities, is that shift has meant that there is a removal of like a social responsibility, I think, at a government level. So you don't have a kind of sense that because all the students are being screwed over, that that means that we should act. Because ultimately the project has been to shift the student experience to use a really problematic term to shift that into being just the responsibility of the person who goes and if they make poor choices if the if the market is bad if the market behaves strangely then ultimately they should invest better next time or something like that and the reality is borne out very differently i think in terms of just the, the scale of the awfulness that, that everyone as a student has experienced across the country and also in the resistance to it like there's a really powerful and really inspiring current of pushback that has that has like emerged over the course of this last year in the emergence of the rent strike movement and, it, and it, in the kind of darkness of Zoom calls and the kind of weird semi-connection that we've all had to live through this year, but there has been like a real upsurge in student action at a national level, thinking about how this education system doesn't serve the people it populated by and the people who make it what it is. And that's like the, the staff and the students who make our universities work are currently not being served by them. And I think there's a recognition of that in lots of students who might not have quite ever seen that as that important to them until until this year. This year has been a year in which people have they've had it thrown in their face a little bit those who might want to just crack on and, and not really get into this political nature of it and the kind of decision making behind it thrown into their face and hopefully we can, can work to make that a lasting thing with your uh, connections with acorn as well i'd like to know how that activity has has been going on um what progress has been made are there any proper legal grounds that you're aware of for students to claim rent rebates or rent pauses from their landlords even if there aren't have there been negotiations with rent strike groups and as even individual tenants which you know have been successful unsuccessful what are the what are the experiences you know of 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's, um, as far as I could see, the law hasn't been at all one that's favoured the student tenant in this in this pandemic. The Tories have been quite clear, I think, that they want to protect the interests of those who rent properties to students more than they do the students who rent them. And and so there hasn't been any kind of legal mechanism or like a, or, or kind of guidance that has indicated that students would have a great deal of success if they were to make a legal challenge to individual landlords or, or anything like that and you do have examples of where tenants have independently messaged or e- emailed their landlord and, and received money back and um, you also have like examples of where student unions have done that type of work in the city in brighton there was a bit of a push with both brighton and sussex su to kind of contact landlords in the city and, and do a bit of that kind of thing and we're continuing that as we go into so hopefully to work retrospectively and get some rebates for some students based on that kind of work like sending messages and encouraging people with the backing of local mps and things like that which i think is really has some potential my, my view on this kind of thing is that it has to be a collective response that so you have to have a push from multiple people often a direct action type response to make it so that it's not just a kind of asking nicely or like a moral case being made but instead a kind of clear and public case that you're making to the landlord and that's what acorn have been doing it's a community union and we started out as a as a tenants union uh, and have, have kind of like tried to broaden things out to become more than just uh, a housing kind of organization but do a lot of stuff on housing and there's been instances throughout the pandemic and and before then where we've won huge amounts of money back for members who've been mistreated by landlords. Along those kind of lines that you've just said, what policy do you think should be implemented in future to protect students? Or at least what do you think should change about what framework is already in place in order to both protect students and also tenants in general? I think we need to be really clear that the university in this situation is is a landlord and is a very kind of unscrupulous one often. I would like to see huge changes to how that relationship works. We need to publicly fund education, higher education again. That's kind of like the the, the big underlying issue. We can't continue this broken and, and creaking model in which university fees are the are the kind of lifeblood of our kind of increasingly like vampiric <laughs> university like institutions. We need to publicly fund education and that is obviously the overarching aim all of us who work in our universities and all of us who see ourselves as organizers should maintain that horizon always because it wasn't so long ago that we had a manifesto from a major political party on the Labour 19 manifesto for all its maligned features it had free education on there we were very close to having a publicly funded education system again because it's been 10 years plus and because it feels like a long way away now we, we can't let that slip away as, as being something that we demand from that you would have a lot easier environment in which to change the ways students rent property from their university I think there's a need for the government to step in on rent levels at universities Another thing we can do is encourage and, and and demand that the government step in on rent levels at our universities. You see at places like Sussex, in the last 10 years, you've had, I think the average price of student accommodation has gone up from 120 quid a week, which it was 10 years ago, to now approaching 160 quid a week. In a short space of time, they've just recently replaced accommodation that was 90 pounds a week with accommodation that is 170 pounds a week. And, and that's the kind of like swaps that are being made. And I think there needs to be action from a government level and, and and certainly it would take a shift across multiple universities at once to, to make sure that there is a minimum threshold of affordable housing that all universities have to provide. There could be, there's kind of been, there's been guidance produced by the NUS and also kind of in collaboration with, with groups like Shelter that, that show that we need that. We can't just keep seeing university housing.
housing as a as a as a really kind of juicy revenue stream. It needs to be seen as a basic right and a, and a, and, a, and a part of the deal of coming to university. Is but yeah, so there's kind of a need for a need for kind of a cap in terms of cost for student rent, so that every university has to provide a certain amount of accommodation that like whether they're from a class background or whether they're fresh out of Eton, um, and and that would help with our local accommodation markets too. You've got, we can move back towards seeing universities as as, as communities. What protections do you think people should have when renting in the future? And there's a huge buy-to-let market in this country. So you get a lot of people, maybe they've inherited a house from parents or maybe they've bought a few with, with some money that they had lying around or whatever. But you get a lot of people who are not at all professional landlords. This is this is one part of the market that I think is interesting. You get a lot of people who are just like doing it for a bit of cash and they're, they're rubbish at it. That's a lot of the kind of situation here. It's like, it's it's there's the kind of two arguments. There's the one that I strongly believe in, which is that we shouldn't have landlords, really. It's an exploitative relationship. But there's also this argument that like... The way that we have landlords in this country with such an emphasis on people being able to rent out small kind of bits of property here and there and like lots and lots of people doing it. If you compare somewhere like the UK to Germany, where you have a much less kind of wild and unregulated buy-to-let market, then you get a lot less also of the kind of poor protection and you get a lot more people happy to rent and not feeling like they're constantly under the boot of someone who doesn't even know what they're doing. My experience of living in student housing in Brighton, is just like random dudes coming around and having no idea what's going on, but very happy to have their more mortgage paid and definitely not wanting to fix anything. The answer is strengthening rights for all renters. One one major example we could we could look at would be for the government to actually follow through on the end to section 21 evictions, which is something that ACORN as the union have been pushing hard on. But it's like it's it's the part of our housing law that allows for landlords to essentially kick people out when they want to. Something called no fault evictions is how it's is how it's kind of referred to. And it basically means that if you smell a bit funny or if the landlord doesn't like look of you or anything like that then the landlord can essentially turf you out when they want to and this is something that doesn't exist in, in in many other countries in somewhere like germany if you look around like other northern european countries as well it's very similar it isn't like a situation where the landlord has ultimate deciding power over exactly what happens because it's seen as a more give and take relationship and, and one in which the tenant is actually doing the landlord a massive favor often by paying their mortgage fantastic right thanks so much for coming on um your answers have been really invaluable to the show and you know it, you've, you've answered a lot a lot of our questions without us even asking them so uh, cheers again really enjoyed it thank you very much so that was connor uh, i almost completely forgot what i was doing for a second there uh he was as we said from sussex uni and i think Although that was maybe a little bit of a tangent from um, the coronavirus pandemic, he raised a really good point about how universities, as they become landlords, drop that sort of feeling of, of, of community. Uh, me and Joel were just having a conversation with us, uh, um, you know, and we've, we, when you think about it, when you think about the Bath campus, for example, you there are some unions I know that Liverpool is quite good and. Uh, for like the cheapest rent price in the country, I believe. But in a union like Bath, which you know is pretty posh, let's face it, um, you have anything from you know the hundred and twelve pound a week uh, rents, which are you know pretty reasonable actually, mm. to places like Polden, which when there's eat and drink credit is two hundred and fifty pounds a week, um, and you just have this stark disparate uh, disparity on campus between the people who are paying the cheapest prices and the people who are paying the most prices. But also, as, as Connor says, it's, that, it's not just the fact that there's a disparity, it's that the cheapest ones are slowly getting replaced by more expensive ones, slowly creating university as a more exclusive place for people who can 
only really afford it. Obviously, you've got maintenance loans and stuff like that, but the maintenance loan wouldn't cover the most expensive accommodation. Yeah, it's interesting how we've gone from a conversation about the pandemic to actually really have taken a look at the structures that now back what funds our university system well, after these reforms. Because it's exposed, obviously. Yeah, well, it's been completely exposed. It's a matter of, you know, while, you know, as Connor, you know, Connor's very critical about saying that universities are unscrupulous landlords. I would say I would give a little bit more, uh, you know, credit to Bath, and um, <laughs> and we've also, you know, we have actually been given, um, you know, rent oh, rebates, which you know, and the university has, yeah, exactly as we as we heard from Sussex, yeah. and we've, you know, we found that. Um, we also have been given a two-week extension for June 21st, which is also, again, very generous, despite the fact that it's most likely their, their number one income stream. But for a yeah. lot of universities who... You know, I think we might be quite blessed because Bath is, being a top 10 uni, is going to get a lot of research funding, gets a yeah. lot of international students, mm -hmm. and that will also help. The students who go to universities which are maybe further down the line, you know, like 20th, 30th, etc., that's when the unscrupulous landlord behaviour really rears its head. And but what our next guest, um, MP for Bath, Vera Hobhouse, says, but she provides quite an interesting um, solution. She refers to how universities could almost take the role. Well, I mean, yes, they will be the landlord, but they could also control the accommodation for not just first years, but second and third and fourth years. Yeah. Which I thought was quite an interesting um, spin on it, R taking it away from the private sector, which we know is quite vulnerable to market forces, um, as exposed by the coronavirus pandemic. I feel that this is quite an interesting perspective, and I think we should pass it over to, um, to Vera. Absolutely. So today we are speaking to Vera Hobhouse about issues for students with the pandemic affecting uh, the private sector renting. So firstly, Vera, in this pandemic, students have been negatively affected disproportionately. And we're wondering, do you think that there should have been a blanket rebate um, slash discount for unused accommodation um, that students couldn't access during the last year? So I've been made aware of um, the huge difficulties that students were facing right from the beginning um, of the lockdown last year. And that has continued throughout the whole year. And, and many young people and students um, have really been very hard hit, not just, uh, you know, for the interruption of their, their studies and their careers, but also social life, the, the disruption of their social lives. And then on top of that, uh, that they um, have high costs anyway in terms of student fees and accommodation and um, the loss of income through uh, work, as you have already said. So all of that has come together as a, as a, as, as a, as a real massive hit to young people. And it's absolutely uh, clear and acknowledged that that happened. Um, and indeed, many parliamentarians, including myself, have raised these issues straight away. Um, uh, in, in Parliament and try to help in some shape or form. The difficulty that you have uh, where students were renting in private accommodation is that they were, that they were renting uh, privately and there was the contract. Um, and so um, uh, th that was a simple um, issue of contract fulfilment. And, and the question is, why are we in this place in the first place? So the, the first thing that I actually tried to say is that 
uh, one of the unfair things is that students can't go on, on universal credit. So where other people who were made, made unemployed and couldn't get jobs, and they could go and at least get universal credit as much as it's a miserable payout, but at least it would have been something. So there's something um, that needs to be looked in, into the future. But what do we do with contracts um, that you've signed for a whole year and then you want to get out of it? And some of it was, um, of course, to do um, with uh, uh, some non landlords um, did uh, uh, agree uh, to a rebate, but a lot of them didn't, and they didn't have to because um, legally they, it was, it, it, they were in the right. So really what we need to look at, and, and I'm, I can't be calling for just contracts can be just sort of a null. We, we can't. Where, where, where would we be uh, legally if suddenly uh, contracts wouldn't exist anymore? The question is really, um, is the whole situation rotten? Uh, and I think that's probably where we need to start. And, the, and there's one thing that I picked up on there is that slight balance of power uh, between landlord and, and, and student. And, and we talk about contractual obligations. Um, but do you think in this relationship, um, compared to um, other goods and services that um, we can all buy every day, do you think that the landlord has perhaps an unfair advantage and do you think perhaps that the, the COVID pandemic has highlighted this to an extent? Uh, absolutely. But then the, the COVID pandemic has highlighted a lot of things that are wrong with our political structures and systems. And, and this country is very much a country of the haves. So the people who are homeowners and um, they have got all the powers and the people uh, who are depending um, uh, on, on, on good accommodation and, and housing by renting, um, they are in a much weaker position. Uh, so, you know, we, the, 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 this conservative government is always talking about a country of homeowners um, and aren't we, isn't, isn't actually the, the reality that we're, we're increasingly becoming a country of renters. And that in itself is not a bad thing. Um, on the continent, there are many countries where most people rent. And indeed, if, if good and affordable house, housing for rent is available, why, why, why would you need to own property? Um, it just has to be um, the, the, the right balance between uh, rights and, um, and, and, and responsibilities on either side. But at the bottom of this lies a long-term structural issue um, around how, how this country creates wealth, how Britain creates wealth compared to, to other countries, and how high house prices and, and home ownership is part of our whole political and economic system. Uh, and to change all of that uh, in one go will be very difficult. It, it will have to be a long-term shift. Uh, as more and more people in your generation will probably be, be unable to, to afford to ever own a house, um, but let's make sure that you can rent well um, and, and, and it is affordable. But it is about the affordability of housing. Um, and I've raised that issue many times. Um, my solution, it's not a silver bullet, but my solution would be for the state to build a lot more social homes for rent. Um, so um, it should be um, a, pu a public infrastructure program like and Boris Johnson's building roads, why don't we build a lot more social housing, not by the private sector, but by the public sector, and then uh, 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 public bodies have much more control over those rents. So and these sort of things um, can be done and should be done. Uh, uh, it, it wouldn't then interfere with the whole structure of um, the, 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 the home ownership sector, but um, there would be a very strong social housing sector where the state can control the rents um, and also the quality of the housing. So is that similar um, to the way that renting is done on 
the continent because that you know we, we were speaking to um, the managing director of a local agency um, and he was talking about how countries such as France and, and Germany are, are better equipped just because there's just so much more of a renting culture. So if you think that if renting does continue to build in its popularity and use, do you think that there are things to be adopted from, from continental Europe? Yes, but, but as you said, there's a long-term culture, which probably in, in Germany mm. certainly dates back from, you know, after the Second World War. So you can't undo the decades of culture that have been built up. But if you look at and the trends uh, on the continent as well, I, I know Germany better than France, uh, in in, uh, in Berlin, they've just lost um, a long battle about rent cap. Uh, and and, 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 and ho home ownership is going up and, and, and the costs of uh, of housing is going up in, in places like like what used to be West Berlin and it's now um, United, you know, the whole of Berlin. Um, so market forces are, are very strong and are very strong in other countries too. So it's 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 not as simple as that. But yes, to look at some of the practices um, of what happens in other countries it is, of course, useful. Um, uh, but I, as I say, let's go back to the UK and let's see what we can do here. So for me, um, fixing the social housing rented sector, that is, uh, to me, um, a, a way out of this problem. I think uh, a lot, one of the things we we're trying to get into with our previous interviews was um, our the students that we interviewed they, they mentioned that they felt they were being used as cash cows basically they were uh, we found this this um this statistic that backs that up it's like a billion pounds during the covid pandemic was being spent on unused accommodation and they said that they were uh, you know their landlords were people who own multiple properties who one of them said they lived in spain never spoke to them but still wasn't happy to you know uh, give them a new hoover when it packed in and I, I really want to know if you, if you think there's also maybe problems with corporate landlordism or maybe the problem is more um, homeowners are now able to buy properties and, and rent out one or two to give themselves an extra stream of income. Um, do you think that's also a problem that needs controls or do you think it's, it's just a matter of uh, keeping the market we currently have while also having uh, better social housing in the public sector? So, um, again, this is linked with the bigger macroeconomic problems or issues. So it's been, if, if you've got money as somebody living in the UK, and that, that in itself is not uh, uh, not a crime, um, uh, what do you do with it? You can best, in, you make your most money, or the get, you get the most returns from buying a property, and you and the interest rates, you can buy a property, you don't need to buy it outright, you have to put down a deposit, the rest you pay via a mortgage. If, if that interest rate, if that mortgage repayment is very low compared to the income you can make out of renting the property out, if that is imbalanced, then that's what people do and have done. And therefore you end up with a lot of people who are buying property, not to live in it themselves, but for, for, for investment reasons and getting a return, whether that is a that is uh, somebody who's a corporate landlord, uh, landlord and earns many properties, or whether it's just one person with one extra home that they rent out. So that's where um, the structural um, uh, imbalance lies, that interest rates are very low. And in, in, as an investment, buying a property and renting it out, um, because of all the other stuff that we've already um, mentioned, for example, the shortage of housing, which we do have, and the shortage of, of affordable housing, people can just ask uh, very high rents because people like you will say, oh, God, I need to live somewhere in Bath. Um, and then you, 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 you agree 
um, to a, 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 to rent a place or a room, uh, which is often very unsuitable, very badly maintained, um, you know, terrible, terribly insulated, and all the other stuff that we might come to. But they can do that because you need a place to stay as a student, and you agree to something that is utterly unreasonable. And and I, I'm a, I'm a mother of uh, of four children who've all gone through university. I've sort of mainly finished with it. Um, uh, and I've seen that, and I, it's appalling uh, what you're forced to, to rent as students and young people at a sky-high price and often black mold, um, you know, uh, uh, unsafe electricity, uh, high, high maintenance costs or high um, utility costs because, uh, you know, it's very badly insulated. And that is just a scandal. And one of the reasons there... Uh, what we could do uh, is a, a proper registration of landlords and done via local authorities where you actually have to fulfill certain living standards in, in order to rent a property out. And I think that is another thing that we could do that at least for what you pay, you get a decent property. Uh, and then also it might make it less attractive. You can't just help, um, rent out any rabbit hole, um, but um, there are proper standards required and that could probably be be regulated through local authorities, the registration and, and proper inspections to what what landlords are actually renting out. The managing director of a, of a local letting agency said that the decision whether or not to request a rent rebate is a matter of choice rather than financial or family issues. So, so many more reasons than just convenience. What are your thoughts on the matter? You you, can, you could, of course, try and change the law, but then you, you get into um, real complexities and difficulties. At which point is a landlord required to give a rebate? Um, and then you are you're starting to look into legislation um, that is not just fit for this particular moment in time, the COVID crisis, which hopefully uh, will not be repeated. But um, we are, of course, looking across the board of how we can become more pandemic resilient. Um, 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 in, 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 in the whole sweep of um, looking at uh, how does a, do we as a country um, prepare ourselves for a next pandemic, uh, something like this might also be included. But but let's 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 just see the pandemic at COVID as a bit of a one-off. And how do you legislate for something that is a bit of a you know it, it's this very special and and unique situation in time? Because what you're really asking then is how do you legislate for any rent rebates at any point? And then you have to put in law, uh, you know, all the all, all the scenarios in which a landlord is required um, to, to give a rebate. And it becomes quite difficult. Um, and, and therefore, actually, one, one needs to really look at this whole problem. Um, uh, of, of the rental market and, and, and renting um, uh, on its own, apart from COVID, and say, look, um, COVID has thrown a, a, a very, very stark light into all sorts of things um, that are wrong with our society. One of it is, is a terrible situation for renters, and how can we make that better? Um, and I don't think, um, uh, you know, the relatively small uh, issue of a rebate in this particular instant is going to solve anything for the future. Um, and, and I can't, I, I would admit that any government would find it difficult to uh, to legislate for this and then make, a, make it a legal requirement uh, rather than a voluntary thing. The thing is that in this country, there's an aspiration of being a homeowner. 
all the um, all the legislation, all the political powers behind the people, um, uh, you know, who are who are creating wealth, who 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 are aspirational, who want to earn a house, and you don't want to disadvantage them or as as voters. So it is about um, 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 that balance, but as the balance, as I said, has is going to shift probably more and more towards people renting, which in itself I don't think is is should actually be a stigma, shouldn't. Um, but it needs to be um, uh, it would needs to be a good rental arrangement. Absolutely, it's affected all the students, um, especially in the second, third, fourth years. Um, just the fact that they've had to pay for accommodation they haven't been living in or just the conditions that they've had to really put up with regardless. We're also going to be the ones paying for this pandemic in the future. And like you said, that probably means we're going to be renting a lot more, less home ownership. It certainly seems the market is going that way. So I think trying to have conversations about how we can at least improve it and give even just more dignity to people who do rent right now, because there are some conditions which are just total squalor, um, is the most important thing I, I find. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably where, where one should really put um, the attention towards that, that landlords have an, have an obligation. You can put that in, that you can put into law, um, have um, an obligation to actually, when they rent, that they rent, um, you know, uh, uh, spaces which are decent and, and, and are, have a certain standard. But, but what is being currently offered on the private, uh, on the private rental market is, abs- some of it is absolutely disgusting and unacceptable so that's one of the things that one, one, one should in terms of legislation first focus on and then how do you manage that probably through the registration system um, um, and local authorities keeping an eye on it on that and and and, and another, another you know possibility would be that not just during your first year as a student but 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 through all your student life the university would have um, a, 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 an obligation to provide housing for you. So that would mean that universities who are actually earning quite a lot of money uh, would have um, would have a legal obligation to house you unless you wanted to, uh, to do otherwise. But that would mean a lot more student accommodation that is actually ultimately owned and in the hands uh, um, of the universities. Yeah, we were... Um... Uh, we were quite lucky because as first years we were granted a rent rebate by our university Uh, again for the exact same cash cow argument of going well we were contracted to be living here but you know conditions have been where legally we couldn't so they they gave us um a rent rebate for all the weeks we were away in in january february um and but some unis have not been quite so so good about that and you know that's the thing like you said there is absolutely no legal obligation for or legal precedent that can be even be set for private renters uh, or private landlords to uh, grant rent rebates, but it's been dealt with so differently because there's, there is no legal precedent for it. No, and and the and the um, the problem that universities have, and this is a problem about everything being marketized, and 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 this has been a long term trend, and that's what uh, what ultimately a conservative um, government likes um, um, a small state. Um, and a big private sector, a, 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 a big private sector, and, and and universities are in that same space too. So, a university tuition fees, and this is the whole point um, that's been raging since the tuition fee debacle. Um, originally, it was um, just a contribution towards um, um, publicly funded university educa- education. It started with the Labour Party, and now it's gone all the way that 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 basically universities need to stand on their own feet. And, and don't get any uh, contribution um, um, from the public purse. And therefore, 
they also have to balance their books. So income from student accommodation is part of, of for them to manage their budgets. And if you think about a university, you could say, yeah, but well, the university buildings were closed. But the biggest um, outgoing for a university is always um, um, the staffing costs, the people that are that they're paying um, a, a, a salary. Either you make a large amount of people redundant, and I'm sure that um, the university could also, um, um, of course, plug into the furlough scheme. But but universities have got ongoing costs that haven't suddenly gone away because there was COVID. So for them, uh, they if everything is just about um, you know how how do we balance the books and we need to make money out of our students or we need to, you know then you end up in that space. It has put university education into this into this private. Um, uh, you know, it's now a sort of privately run. It's 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 it's, it's open to market forces. Um, and is that the right thing? Uh, is that the right thing to do? Big questions for you guys, and good luck. Thank you very much. It's been absolutely invaluable to have you on the show. Thank you. Bye bye. That was Vera Hophouse, MP for Bath. I think the key word there, Tom, was dignity. Yeah. And how that is somewhat correlated to better um, contractual obligations for um, tenants is, is just a little bit more of an even playing field, if we're going we're gonna, to go down the, the homelets route. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that was even recognised by, by Marcus, essentially saying that on the continent, tenants have a little bit more of an of, of equal playing field. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just a matter of the fact that there was dignity at the heart of Vera's argument. The fact that she was talking about how university accommodation—I uh, mean, not you know—even if it is the university accommodation we have on campus, but just the stuff you have to rent I mean, in Bath, it's great. But in, on on campus in a second uh, in the private rented sector in the second, third, and fourth, fifth years um it can just be atrocious and i'm really glad that that's what she highlighted and it's really interesting how on the continent because they have more rights for tenants there is that dignity there even though in this country we culturally do value home ownership i don't see why we should have this um you know dichotomy between people who own homes and can and can live in relative comfort versus the people who have to like take whatever they're given by an unscrupulous landlord I mean, it's, it's an absolute lottery about what you're going to get because landlords in this country have the ability to pretty much let out whatever they want. And the fact that that isn't regulated about what people can actually be living in and, you know, as a result of this pandemic, especially students who have been disproportionately disadvantaged from an increase in unemployment from the retail and hospitality sectors, you're going to get people who are more desperate for that sort of home, uh, sort of housing, and landlords have the freedom um, and ability to, to let that out. Yeah, it's. It, I think it all boils back down to the original reason why we did this show, which was the effect of the pandemic on the private rented sector. And it's just a matter of, you know, in this country, if you were living in private renting, in, in, in private housing, um, you know, that you're renting versus, you know, going past the university accommodation issue, because as we know, that was different across the country. Yeah. If you were a tenant and you were living at home over the pandemic, as you were legally obliged to do, you couldn't get a rebate. You couldn't even get a rent pause. If you, and 
as Marcus said, there were some opportunities um, with with some landlords who were particularly um, uh, accommodating. No pun intended. Quite, quite um, <laughs> uh, to to the to the whole issue. But on the whole, um, you know, it's like as as we as we gathered with Adam and Matt, you were going to probably get a forty pound Sainsbury's voucher, and that was it. But, for, but, but what, what I don't get is how. Uh, one moment it said that there is a level, level playing field between landlords and tenants. However, the letting agent is told what to do by the landlord. So it, that just doesn't exactly add up. So <laughs> I, I, mean? I, I don't know. We probably should have pushed Marcus more on this. And I, I'm only saying this out of a hunch. This is not any reflection upon the letting agency industry. But I can imagine, I, I'm just kind of imagining a sort of uh, thing where unless the landlords are acting extra, you know, extrajudicially, um, it's sort of where the letting agent was going to the tenant and go, sorry, got to do what they say. It's because there, there is, as we said with Vera, there is no legal precedent never mind legislation to give mm. anyone more rights it, when a market shock in fact a sh- well a shock to our way of life yeah. occurs to quite a magnitude as the covid crisis and i mean we, we were reminded of the fact that contracts are contracts and we can't just go right let's get rid of contracts yeah no we, we, i think we, we it's also gonna... important to say that we're not going to sit here and go let's just tear it up and tear down the the landlord system you can't do that like, it's just no. silly but we you know it when you, when you look at it as a structural analysis of what is on offer and what people could actually be given um, over this crisis, what you know, how there was any relief given to people who, you know, we just basically gave a load of money to people who were already making a profit on their mortgages. But what that one billion sums up is essentially that imbalanced relationship. It is that gap that is created from the disproportionate power in that contractual obligations. And it also just is like uh, f- there are some families um, who are very comfortable, very well off, who. I mean, you know, I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to be very happy about spending money on accommodation they're not using. But, you know, if you if you have more money, maybe you could even leave. You could walk out. But even as Marcus said, that wasn't even really possible in many scenarios anyway. If you have a family on lower income, you're being supported on lower income. If you have a job, maybe you, you know, especially as a student, you'll probably work in the hospitality industry. Uh, And I know a lot of places in in Durham, uh, in my local area, where, you know, before the furlough system happened, they fired everyone, thinking they wouldn't be able to pay their wages. And even so, you know, imagine before the furlough system happened, even if you were being kept on, you you had no idea if you're going to be paid nothing. Thankfully, that did happen. Um, But, you know, you're sitting at home with 20% of your income gone. You're already on a really low wage. Imagine if you're having to already work to pay for your student accommodation or your or your rent it's um, just a, a, a massive expenditure that students just can't actually uh, uh, pay for at all no and uh, this is something that again was not highlighted in the media these stories of people who uh, were having to live at home with their parents um, in this crisis and were still having to pay what little money they already have to a landlord and what do we find out today Tom in, in the article that we that we read essentially that um, is, it, is it our debt obligations um, in, in terms of paying back our student loans? We, oh, we yes. brought up the fact that yes. we're going to be paying 
pretty much for, for this entire pandemic. Um, oh, I can't so yeah, Gardner, uh, a Guardian article came out uh, a couple of days back, um, which was basically highlighting the fact that the government now intends, they do intend to drop tuition fees, but they intend to extend the period at which we pay them off. And also, um, you know, it's reduce a... Reduce it from, from 27... Yeah, and, and reduce the threshold of income but where you have to actually pay it off. Which, you know, first of all, that just means we're going to be paying more in the long run. You might as well give us, like, a graduate tax. And also, universities are bricking it. Um, because, basically... I mean, first of all, they're cutting £2,000 off of their funding, mm. uh, which, as Connor highlighted, was basically, you know... It's their mainstream of income. I mean, well, yeah. So, you're already, the landlord, landlord, the landlordism is bad enough with universities, right? Because that's now their main source of income in a lot of ways, as we saw with Yeah. Now... We've also got it where they're going to reduce tuition fees. So that's even less money going into universities from a way which isn't just a way that isn't the exploitative means of accommodation fees. So basically you end up with a lose-lose situation where the students will pay more in the long run and universities have even less fees. What on earth is the government thinking? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. It's, it's, yeah. I was trying to think about how to put a positive spin on this, but I can't really. No, all all this means is that the exposed issues of university landlordism that we have highlighted in this show today, um, with with thanks to Adam, Matt, Connor, Vera, and Marcus. uh, I hope they're listening. We probably should have sent the link to that. Actually, we probably should have done that before. But... Honestly, these answers have been fantastic, and it's really, really, really informed if us. It, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to have this show whatsoever, for better or for worse. Um, yes, no, I, 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 I'm not too sure how many people are really listening at this point. I mean, but, if they are, I mean, I commend them. Yes, I, I, I might start paying them for their time. But this, what we've done is we've exposed the structural issues in university um, accommodation, both and. in the public and private sector. Yeah. Uh, and by public sector, I mean the universities, because they are publicly funded usually. Uh, but if it wasn't for the coronavirus pandemic, I don't think we would have had this discussion. No, and I don't think we'd have this um, first show either. No. But uh, on that note, I do believe it is time for us to shut up, and we shall leave you all... With the Pet Shop Boys, it is a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me.